Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I want to thank God, though, for the great introduction we have for this. I, I couldn't help but uh, chuckle, uh, and you will too, when you hear uh, what the uh, message is all about today. But on top of that, uh, it just really struck me that... Uh, when we sing, who can stop the Lord Almighty, we actually mean even technical stuff. Can't stop the Lord Almighty. And uh, we're going to be talking about hearing and listening today, and it reminded me that uh, even if we were locked up in a cell somewhere and completely devoid of any noise whatsoever, we can still hear him. We can still know him. Uh, he is still with us. Nothing can stop the Lord Almighty. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, it's one of the basic uh, claims of Christianity uh, that God speaks, that God speaks to people. All through the Bible, in fact, I counted them, there's 54 different times, uh, there's the phrase, God said, or and God said, or then God said. Pretty soon, you get the idea that God really does want to speak to people. He wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. And there's no relationship without communication. God has chosen to speak to us. The problem is, of course, that it's a two-way street. And communication can often be misunderstood. I think, if anything, over the last year, we've come to understand that afresh and anew, that communication, clear, concise, truthful, is so important. When my wife speaks to me, I often, well, A, don't hear it, or B, misunderstand it. I'm sure I'm the only, only guy who's ever felt that. Men, there are two things you need to understand about women, and unfortunately, nobody knows what they are. I can do that. My wife's at home watching on TV. I've got a little grace period here. Uh, but if you want to write Pastor Ray Yoder, that's who you send all your complaints to. If I have that much difficulty communicating with my wife, who I've spent my entire adult life with and love and know, and still we don't always communicate clearly, how much should you expect there to be communication problems with God? Frankly, I'm very skeptical of people who always have a clear word from God and begin their statements with, God said, God said, God told me, God said. A lot of crazy things actually have been done the world over by people who claim that God has spoken to them. Some people think that pastors always have God speak to them and have it clearly. It's just not true. I'm often as confused as everyone else about what God is saying. Contrary to popular opinion, we don't have a hotline to God who tells us what to say all the time. God does not send me the real Gmail, Godmail. I know a lot of facts about God, but I don't have God's facts number. Sometimes I'm just as much in the dark in hearing what God wants me to do and us to do as you are. On the other hand, there are times in my life when God speaks when I have no doubt at all that he is speaking directly to me. He speaks to me in many different ways, and we're not going to unpack that today because there's, this is part one. There's more parts to come. But just like when my wife calls me on the phone, I don't have to look to see who is calling. I know her voice. 
And there are times when God speaks to me when I know exactly who he is, who's putting that idea or that thought or bringing that scripture to mind. What makes the difference? The difference is not God. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The changeable component in this equation is us. The question is whether we're tuned in or not. One of the basic tenets of the Christian faith is that God wants to walk with you and talk with you. He showed us his heart when he did exactly that with the very first people, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He walked with them and talked with them. It was natural. It's we who've turned away from God. Nothing is more important to you than understanding that God wants to have a relationship with you, that God wants to walk with you, that God wants to talk with you. And you actually can engage. You can converse. You can hear him. Jesus once said in Luke chapter 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let me ask you straight up. How exactly can you hear without listening? We've got to get tuned in in order to hear God speak. Anybody remember CB radios? You truckers out there, you might still use them. I'm not sure. Um, they used to have different channels on them. They used to be the, the cat's meow. Uh, we got them on the farm, and I thought, great, no more lack of communication. I went up like 40 feet on the top of our, our steep roof. I had myself tied to the chimney. In fact, to get up there, I had to put the, the front-end loader of my, of my big tractor all the way up as high as it would go, and then I had to get an extension ladder to get up into the bucket, and then I'd get up on the bucket and pull up the extension ladder and then set the extension ladder down in the bucket and then try and get to the roof. That's how high it was and then scramble up the roof and worry about how I was going to get down and put up a huge antenna so that it would reach anywhere in the mile or two radius of our farm. After all that was said and done, we picked up people from Mexico like you wouldn't believe, but I couldn't talk a half a mile away back to the house. It was so frustrating because we couldn't communicate, and there's so many times when I wanted to phone, just communicate and say, I'm going to be late, or can you send out this, or... I'm stuck, or something broke, or whatever. Uh, now, to think of having a cell phone, I almost want to go back and try it. Uh, but back then, it was CBS, and it was frustrating when it wasn't clear. Many times, God has spoken to you, and you haven't really been on the right wavelength at all. It hasn't come through crystal clear. Right now, this room that you're filled in, or we're filled in here, is filled with so many waves that we really can't even count. In fact, if we actually did, it might make us seasick. All kinds of radio, TV, phone, satellite transmissions, but you don't hear them. We don't hear them all because we're not tuned in. All these waves are going through us right now. You can't see them, but if you had a receiver and you tuned in, you'd get the picture. Right now, God is speaking. God is speaking right now. You don't see it, but he really is. Perhaps your reception is just a little fuzzy. Jesus told a story to try to explain this. He says there are four ways of receiving that will determine whether we get the message clearly from him or whether we don't. This is so crucial. This is so important. Obviously, if we can tune into God, he can direct us. He can save us a whole lot of time from making wrong mistakes. He can comfort us when we need comfort. He can guide us, encourage us, so on. 
So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Okay, sidebar here for a moment. Sometimes when we use the word story from up front here, we are actually referring to an historical event that happened in the Bible. I like to think of history always as his story, as opposed to what we often associate the word story with, and that is fiction. So when we say, let's look at the story of David and Goliath, for instance, it's not fiction, it really happened. But now in the text that we're looking at today, Jesus actually is telling a fictional story to make a point. There is truth embedded, hidden within it. In truth, Jesus was a great storyteller. And as a result, the people of his day flocked to him, listened intently. His words were always picturesque. They evoked pictures within them as they do with us. He spoke of sheep among the wolves of camels trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle, of people trying to remove specks from other people's eyes while they couldn't see the planks in their own. He referred to a house divided against itself, destined to fall down. Ouch. Of throwing children's bread to dogs. He warned against the yeast of the Pharisees' teaching infiltrating everywhere. Strictly speaking, of course, these are word pictures, aren't they? Not stories. The stories that Jesus told fall into a category of story known as parables. In fact, about a third of his words, think of that, a full third of Jesus' recorded words are parables in the scriptures. In contrast to fables and even allegories, not every detail has meaning in a parable. And they're simply meant to support the story, excuse me, which points to one or possibly a couple of basic truths, which of course is the purpose of the parable in the first place. In fact, we get our word parable from the Greek word parabalin. Now, it's taken from two words. It's a conjunction of two words. Balin means to throw, and para means alongside of. We use para still in our English language, to throw alongside of. So the idea of a parable is that Jesus would take an occurrence of everyday life, something that would be so familiar with all the people who were listening, and throw it alongside. He would throw it alongside a truth about God that he wanted to communicate, or about the kingdom of God, so people, so at least some, could understand it. Ever see a poor woman desperately searching for a lost coin? Or a shepherd desperately searching for a lost sheep? Jesus would say, then you understand, you know about God's heart for lost people. He would just spin these colorful, unforgettable, compelling, culturally relevant stories about corrupt judges and plucky widows and buried treasure and lazy employees and bad debts and noisy neighbors and people just got it. For 2,000 years now, these parables, which lie at the heart of Jesus' teachings, have stretched the greatest minds and fed the simplest ones. They have pierced the hardest hearts and shaped the greatest souls that have ever walked the face of this earth. I like to think of them as life illustrated. And maybe in the months ahead, as opportunity provides, we'll unpack some of them. But for today, with your allowance, I'm going to spin one of Jesus' parables in a modern setting. There was a new homeowner in Steinbach who desperately needed to get his lawn in place before winter. Sod was way out of his price range as he had just spent what little extra he had on putting in this wonderful concrete driveway. So he determined that he would buy the grass seed and scatter it literally on the soil on himself. And that's what happened. Incidentally, of course, that's 
the way it's always been done, just scattering the seed. So he went out and scattered seed everywhere. He had a pouch on his side filled with the seed, and he walked across his freshly tilled lot, indiscriminately throwing the seed as far as he could in every direction. Now, obviously, the seed fell in all kinds of places. Some of it fell on this nice new driveway. Some of it fell near the foundation where the soil was really thin, just over the rock. Other seeds landed where a bunch of weeds were growing in the corner, and still others fell on this nice thick topsoil that had been spread around the house. In this story, the homeowner is God. The seed he is spreading is God's word. It's about telling about God, about his kingdom. It's the gospel. And the four types of ground represent our receptivity to the spreading, to the words. They're not four kinds of people, actually. Sometimes we go off there and think, okay, well, I'm there. No, they're, they're really not trying to get to that much of detail. It's actually all of us. All of us have been all four of these types. Sometimes we're very open to God, to what he wants to say to us. Sometimes, let's face it, we're not interested. As you might expect, because parables are intrinsically meant to be simple, there are four things we can learn about being receptive to God from this. First, we must cultivate listening ears. We've got to want to hear from God. Be eager, be receptive, be ready, be willing. Some of us listening today are here just even in that process of listening and checking out who Jesus is. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. Others of you are, are new believers. Others have been believers for many years. But if I were to ask you, have you ever heard God speak to you, how would you respond? There are many of you who would say, I can't think of a time in my life when I actually ever heard God speak to me. I'm not talking about an audible voice here, but an impression in your mind that you knew was from God, something deep in your soul that just resonated and you knew it had divine origin or a time when a particular verse perhaps that you have looked at many many times over suddenly leapt off the page at you with meaning and significance for your life I was just sharing that with our staff this past week in our prayer time why is it that we sometimes don't hear God one of the reasons could be that you've never actually been open to the possibility of him doing that Maybe you didn't even know that God wants to speak to you directly. Maybe you don't even believe that can happen. Or perhaps you know God and know he wants to speak to you about something, but you've decided that you really don't want to hear from God on that subject. Or concern or temptation. And you'd rather go on working on it on your own. See, when you've got plugged ears, when you hear and, and, and your ears and mind and everything else are shut off to the voice of God, obviously God is not going to get through. This is the first type of ground Jesus describes. Some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Unlike many of his parables, for a few of them, and this one's interesting because it's the first parable he told, Jesus goes on, further on in the passage, to explain to his listeners what he was actually trying to get across. So I'm going to join the first part and the explanation together as we kind of walk on through this. In explaining it, Jesus said, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and, and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away that which was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, 
on every farm, in every field, there's a footpath that the farmer would walk down. As he went, he would sow the seed out onto the land that was tilled. There are two characteristics of the footpath. One, it's hard. It's hard because the constant traffic of people walking on it. It's compacted. It's not fertile. It's not tilled like the rest of the field. It's, it's hard. The other thing about the path is you always make it as narrow as possible because it's not going to produce anything as this parable teaches us. Do you know anybody like this? Narrow, closed, hard-hearted. They're not wanting to be open to the possibility that God may want to speak to them. And as a result, Jesus says the farmer sows seeds, but it can't penetrate on this path because it's so hard. It's on the driveway. It's just sitting there. It can't take root. It can't sprout. It just lays on the surface of the ground, and then the birds come along, eat it up, and it's gone. It never stands a chance. This is true of so many of us. God wants to speak to us, but he doesn't even get a chance because our ears are just plugged. Our minds are closed. Our hearts are hardened. We've made up our mind. We're unwilling to listen. We've already decided what we're going to do, who we're going to believe in any situation, so we really don't want to hear from God. So what kind of things plug our ears now that we've brought that up? Well, number one on the hit parade is probably pride. Pride closes our ears. It closes us off. When I think, I don't need God, I don't need to hear from God, I can make this decision on my own, I'm pretty good at these things, I know what to say to my children, I know how to handle this, I can ace this test, I can handle this temptation on my own. Anytime, anytime we fail to include God, we're basically saying, I don't need you in this. I can do it on my own. I can handle it, I can resolve it, I can correct it. I don't need you, God. When I'm full of pride, there isn't any room for God. He can't get in and say anything to me because I've decided I'm my own best authority. The second is fear. Sometimes we're really just afraid of what God might say to us. Those in my generation growing up, if you hear their testimonies, often, so often you'll hear them say, I was so reluctant to give my heart to God because I knew he was going to send me to Africa. I just knew it. And they're still here. That, of course, is just a fear. Why wouldn't you want to be wherever God thought that was the best place for you to be, the place he designed for you to just function as best you could and bring change and have, have meaning in your life? Why wouldn't you sign up for that? But this fear takes over. What if I open up the channel to God and God tells me to do something I don't want to do? He might tell me to do something hard, something unpopular, something I think I can't do or I don't want to do. I might become a religious fanatic and wear a shiny leisure suit or something. I'm afraid I'll lose my freedom, my fun, my fulfillment in life. No thanks, God. So I close up to him simply out of the fear of the unknown. And third, bitterness. Whenever we've been hurt and hold on to our hurtful memories, it causes us to put our fingers in our ears before God. We start saying things like, why is this happening to me? But we've got our ears plugged. What do I do? What am I going to do? This is not heaven, people. This is earth. You will have pain in life. God has given us free choice, and so people are free to do wrong things, and the result, unfortunately, is often innocent people even suffer because of it. 
Not everything that happens in this world is what God would have chosen for us. It's what we've chosen, and the consequences come thereof. He's given us freedom to choose. We celebrate that when we like the outcome. We're not so thrilled when we've made bad choices. And then we look to God. Then we blame God. Let's just face it. We're going to get hurt in this life. What you do with that hurt will determine whether you become better or bitter. When we become bitter and we hold on to our hurts, it only prolongs the pain. What we tend to do is, they hurt me, so I'm going to close myself off. I'm going to build up walls. I'm going to hide in my shell. I'm not going to let anything or anybody get close to me to hurt me again. Some of you have been deeply hurt in the past. Some of you may have lost a loved one, maybe recently. You still feel that pain. Some of you were verbally or physically or emotionally abused. Some of you have known the betrayal of a spouse who was unfaithful to you or the betrayal of someone close to you, someone you admired. The tendency is to say, if that's what church community is all about, no thanks, God, I'm out of here. We blame God for what other people have done to us. If you have been deeply hurt, let me say three things real quickly to you. One, I am so sorry. I really, truly am sorry for your hurt. I'm sorry that you feel that. But I want you to know God hurts with you. He weeps with you. He understands the pain that you're going through like no one else. At a funeral one time, I heard a woman say, where was God when my son died? I didn't say this, but I thought, he's the same place he was when his own son died on the cross so that death would not have the last word any longer. I'm sorry, but God has not promised to exempt us from pain. He hasn't promised us flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. He's promised us grace for the trial, strength for the day, hope. Two, I want to say to you, when you're in pain, when you hurt, don't run from God. Don't run from God, run to God. He's the one who can help you the most. He's the one who can comfort. He's the one who truly cares. He's the one who can make a difference in your life. He's the one who can bring healing to your emotions and your body and your past. Nobody else, nobody else can do that. When you run from God out of pain, you're running from the only one who can heal you. Don't turn from him, turn to him in your moment of crisis. Turn to him with your hurt instead of holding it in. Give it to him. And of course, right along with that follows unforgiveness. Unfor forgiveness is not an option. You have to forgive. If you don't forgive, it just plugs your ears right up. The tragedy of that hard-beaten path is that it is barren. Do, do you understand the picture that's being given here is of a barren place? Nothing can grow there. It's unfruitful. It's wasted. Jesus says the birds come along and eat the seed. In other words, that kind of life is truly for the birds, right? Instead, look at James 1, where he says, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do you see how that just fits right in with the parable? Let God love you. Drop your defenses. Unplug your ears. Open your heart and mind. The first step in hearing God speak is we must cultivate an openness towards him. 
And then comes hearing lesson number two. We must allocate time to listen. This is just makes sense, right? We've got to make time to hear him. We've got to slow down. We've got to be quiet. We've actually got to put it in our schedule. We schedule everything else in life. Do you schedule time for God? Or does God just get the leftovers? I think I told you before, or many of you at least, that eventually in my pastorate, I had to actually start putting in appointments that were, that in my book said, seven o'clock baseball game. It was a baseball game where one of my sons was playing, or maybe both of them. And if I didn't put it in there, I didn't stick to it because something else would come along. It's sad to say you have to schedule time even to be with your family and to build relationship. But I had to do it, and it worked. Do you schedule time? Do you, are you willing to build relationship with God? The second reason a lot of people never hear God is we're in too much of a hurry. You knew this was coming, right? The big thing when we were starting a family was frozen concentrated fruit juice. We used to have it on a shelf all lined up in the freezer, just these little cardboard cans with frozen concentrated juice. They're almost extinct now. You have to really look to find one in a supermarket. Why? Because it takes too long to thaw. And we don't want to put up with thawing anything anymore. Overnight mail delivery isn't fast enough anymore. Forget snail mail. I've heard of parents actually lately trying to explain what stamps are to their children. What's the big attraction to Instagram? <laughs> it's the Insta part. Sometimes God gets shortchanged, shuffled to the back of the deck. He gets the leftovers of our time. We want to hear God speak, absolutely. But what we say is, God, I'm in a hurry. Do it quick. Do it quick. As a result, we miss what God wants to say to us. We need to gain some perspective on this. This is just what Peter writes about in 2 Peter. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. Ah, I should pay attention. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God has a different perspective on time. An economist who read this passage was quite amazed by the truth of it and talked to God about it. He said, Lord, is it true that you, to you a thousand years for, for us is just like one minute to you? And the Lord said, yes. And the economist said, and therefore a million dollars to us then must just be like one penny to you? And the Lord said, well, uh, yes. And the economist said, well, Lord, will you give me then one of those pennies? And the Lord said, all right, just wait a minute. Too often we want God's resources, but we don't want his timing. We want the penny, but not the minute. We want to hear from him. We want his hand. We don't want to hear his calendar versus ours, and we forget his work in us while we wait is as important as what we think we're waiting for. Because waiting and listening means I trust that God knows what he's doing. It doesn't seem like such a stretch, does it really? I mean, if he's God and I'm not, it doesn't seem like that would be such a stretch to trust him. But it is for most of us. And, it, and if we have to have patient trust, then we have to be willing to wait on the Lord to come before him with time. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. The explanation? 
Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Just as the hardened path represents closed ears, the shallow soil represents superficial kind of shallow hearing. If we were to talk about it in our terms, we'd say in one ear and out the other. There's no root. There's no stick intuitiveness about it. When he talks about rocky soil here, He's not talking about soil that has a bunch of rocks in it, which we picture if we have anything to do with uh, this area, right? Uh, it has nothing to do with that. It actually talks about soil being underneath the rock. In the Middle East, in fact, for most of the Middle East, particularly Israel, though, there is a bedrock of limestone which is only about three to four inches below the top of the soil. That means plants can't grow down th more than three inches or so, but that's about it. So when summer comes and the heat is on, the plants wither. They die because there's bedrock underneath that does not allow them to develop deep roots unless there's tillage that occurs. This represents the superficial type of hearer who hears the word of God. It sprouts up and they're all excited about it, but it doesn't last. When the heat is on and when the problems arise and when troubles come, they wither and fall away. Sometimes we hear God and we get all excited about it and we react emotionally and we're, Im we're impulsively moved. We just, we're like on fire. But we never give it time to sink in, to get to sort of the stillness of our soul, to just sink in and rest there. I can't tell you how many people have told me over time as I have felt myself, wow, I was so moved by that. I was really touched. A month later, no perceivable life change in, in lives. We're still the same place. We got excited about the message, but we didn't do anything about it. As a result, that's just shallow hearing. It's just superficial. There's no roots. When the heat is on, they're just not going to last. See, it's a well-known fact that we forget 90 to 95% of everything we hear within about three days. If you want a statistic that will depress a pastor, this is it. We labor to produce these masterpieces, <clears throat> and by Wednesday, you've already forgotten everything we've said on Sunday, except maybe 5%. Quick, what did you hear last Sunday? Sometimes I have remind, I'm reminded, I have to be reminded myself of what I last spoke on. That is why we put notes and references on the bottom of your screen that just kind of show up down beneath my face here so you can read it as well as hear it. Even better, so you can write it down and later on review it. The shortest pencil you see is longer than the longest memory. If you don't write it down, you're going to forget it all. If you forget it, you can't work on it, you can't take it to that still space in your soul. This is a problem that all of us have, even pastors. I went to a conference and heard a message. God spoke to me. You need to work on this area of your life. I thought, boy, God, are you ever right on that one? I need desperately to work on that in my life. I was motivated. I was charged up. Somehow those notes got misplaced, and I put them away somewhere. I, when I found them much later, when I pulled them out, I realized... I'd done nothing about what God had spoken to me about. I'd already forgotten what I was so motivated to change. The verse says, the second kind of reception, receive it, but don't retain it. That's the problem. In other words, you can be moved without being transformed. 
We sh why should God teach us things when you think about it? Well, any teacher would be frustrated with this. Why should God teach us new things if we haven't put into practice what he taught us last week or yesterday or last night or this morning? Why do people have no roots? Because we don't take the time. How do you get roots? Allocate time to listen. Say, God, I'm going to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes every day. Just get started so that every day you get alone with God and you say, okay, God, what's up for today? What's next? What would you like to say to me? What's the next step in my walk with you, in my career, with my family? God can't talk to you unless you slow down long enough to listen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it was Dallas Willard who wrote the book Spiritual Disciplines who said, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. We must also ruthlessly eliminate the distractions. That's number three. A lot of times we miss hearing God because our lives are crowded with other stuff. They're filled with stuff. Daily living, worries, plans, goals, ambitions, bills, COVID, all these different kinds of things, and we never give God a chance to talk to us. He can't get through. He keeps getting a busy signal. Many times God has wanted to talk to us, but the line was off the hook. And you know what? God doesn't do call waiting. You've got to make time. When you're too busy and there are so many things going on, Maybe all of them good, but they distract you. You're too busy to listen to God. Other seed fell among the thorns, the weeds, which grew up with it and choked the plants. This seed that fell among the thorns. See, I shouldn't have got involved in worship again this morning. Every time I say, don't sing, don't sing, and then I sing, and then my voice goes, sorry, here we go. <clears throat> Bear with me. This seed that fell among the thorns stands or represents those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. The soil with weeds, this third kind of ground that the, gra the farmer is throwing seed on, it represents, well, frankly, a lot of us, preoccupied people. We're distracted. The seed sprouts and grows, but it's choked by everything else that comes in, and it can't bear fruit. Why is it that so many people live unproductive lives? I talk to people all the way from their 30s to their 60s, and they say the same thing. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. That tells me one thing. We're not spending enough time with God. God has no intention for us to just blow and waste our lives, to just take up space. He has plans for each one of us but we're not listening. If we'd spend as much time with talking with God as we do worrying about it, there'd probably be a whole lot less worrying going on. God is not playing games here. He has a plan and a purpose for you, but you're not going to get it watching reality TV or surfing the internet. You've got to get alone and spend time with God. You've got to eliminate the distractions in your life. They're like weeds, according to Jesus. And he gives us three examples of what they are. First, worries can distract us from hearing God because we can't pray and worry at the same time. The Greek word for worry is the word that means to be pulled in different directions. Have you ever felt pulled in different directions? According to the Bible and the Greek word that it comes from, that means you're, you're worrying. When you're worrying, you can't hear what God wants to say to you. You're preoccupied, you're distracted. Riches can be a weed in your life. You can be so busy making a living, and we don't really, truly live. We don't really enjoy life. We get up, we work, we pay the bills, we keep up with the Joneses, we flop into bed at night, and we get up the next day to do the same thing. 
God gets crowded out like the weeds crowded out the good plants. God again gets the leftovers. Another weed he identifies here is pleasures. There's nothing wrong with pleasures. Hear me on that one. You'll probably remember that's the 5% you'll remember. There's nothing wrong with pleasures. What, who do you think gave us the ability to have pleasure in the first place? God did. It's his idea. God thought up fun. God, God made up fun. There is supposed to be fun in this world. God gave you the senses and the abilities and the tactile senses you have in order to enjoy pleasure. God wants you to enjoy pleasure. But be careful. You can be so busy having fun that you forget God. When recreation replaces worship, we're in the weeds. It's summertime. I don't think I'll go to church this weekend. I'm going to cut my cell meeting. We're on vacation, so we're on vacation from God. We're on vacation from church. I'm going to say no to my quiet time while I'm on vacation. Who are you having a vacation from? God? When fun becomes number one in your life, guess who gets number two or leader? God. There are a lot of different kinds of weeds. You can make up your own list of the things that tend to crowd out God in your life. It could be a relationship, a responsibility, anything. A weed is anything that distracts me from making time to be with God. Eliminate the distractions. Sit down, be quiet, and say, God, is there anything you want to say to me today? Some days he will, and some days he won't. But you've got to have the line ready so he can talk to you. So here's the thing. <clears throat> How much effort does it take to grow weeds? Yeah, none. No effort at all. Jenny and I are seeing how many known weeds we can grow in our flower beds. I don't know about you. The difference between a plant and a weed. A flower is something you cultivate. You fertilize. You trim. You water it. You take care of it. And in our case, it still doesn't grow, although it's supposed to. A weed you do nothing to, and it just explodes, right? That's the difference here. Do you see how these, these sneak up on us? How they just kind of take over these weeds? We don't, we're not going out trying to find weeds to distract us. They just grow up in our lives. You don't have to water weeds. They just grow. Weeds are a sign of neglect. When I start neglecting time with God on a daily basis, the weeds start growing up in my life. And the Bible said they're going to choke out the spiritual life in me if I don't watch it. I'm going to lose my joy, my peace, my purpose, my sense of calmness, my ability to handle stress. The weeds will choke the very life out of me if I'm not careful. And they all come unbidden. I didn't go sowing weeds. They just come by neglect and not spending time with God. And number four. We must cooperate with him when we hear. God talks to people who decide in advance. This is so crucial, people. God talks to people who decide in advance that they're going to do whatever he tells them to do when he tells them. Most of us want God to talk to us, and then we'll decide. But you know what that makes us? That makes us God. Hey, I'll decide, God. You lay the options out. I'll decide. No, that's not the way it's supposed to work. God says, I don't play that game. You have to have faith. You have to actually agree to obey before I tell you what it is that you are going to obey. 
God talks to people who are going to do, who've already decided, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. If you want God to speak to you, you need to say, okay, God, I'm coming to you today to do what you tell me to do. Whether I understand it or not, whether it makes perfect sense to me or not, whether I think I'd like to do it or not, because I know it's the right thing to do if you're telling me it. And I know you know what would make me happy more than I even do. So it's a matter of trust, this listening. The fourth soil represents ears that hear, expectant, open, willing hearts and minds, willing to do whatever God tells you to do before he even tells you. The good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word of God and retain it and by persevering produce a good crop. They hear, they retain, they write it down, they listen to it, they think about it, they go over it and over it, they stick to it, they persevere, and the result is a fruitful life. The key to many of the parables is to look at the elements in the parable and notice which ones don't change and which ones do. When you find that, you find often the hinge to the whole parable. You find what Jesus is really driving at. The seeds you see don't change. This is not a story about good seeds and bad seeds. The seed, the word of God, God's words to us, the good news, the seed will always bear fruit if you give it half a chance. The seed never changes. In this story, the sower doesn't change either. This is not a story about good sowers and bad sowers. In fact, the thing you notice about this sower is how extravagant he is with the seed. He's just throwing it everywhere. He's not very careful about where it lands. This wonderfully generous sower, he's just spreading it everywhere. He's quite lavish, you see, with his words. The sower doesn't change. The seeds don't change. So what's the variable? Well, just take a wild guess here. It's the ground. It's the soil. The soil is what changes. Whether or not the seed takes root and grows depends on the soil. You can count on the seed. You can count on the sower, for sure. Everything hinges on the soil, and the soil, of course, represents you and I. Part of what you need to understand in this story is the harvest Jesus describes. Because we listen, because we hear, because we do, the the fruit, the harvest, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And the people who heard this back in that day would get it. Normally in those days, you see, one seed would lead to a one stalk, obviously, and a head of grain. And maybe in a bad year, maybe there would just be a couple of grains. Another one seed, we got two back. Maybe in a, in a good year, in a really great year, there'd be 20 seeds. We put in a seed and we got 20 back. This is what he says. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. But Jesus says it could be 30, it could be 60 grains on that one stock, it could be 100 fold on that one stock from one seed, way beyond your ability to even imagine. The point that he's making is that the fruitfulness that God desires for his kingdom and for his people is beyond human comprehension or ability. And it can be yours. It can be yours today. It's fruit there for the picking. 
And perhaps one day you'll answer someone who asks you if God speaks to you in the way that Billy Graham did when he was asked one day, is God dead? His reply was, he can't be. We just talked. We just talked. Now, I know we've just barely scratched the surface of this topic, but fear not. There's more to come in this series in the weeks ahead. But for now, I want you to take a few moments right here, right now, in our service, and become not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. I'd like you to spend some time right now conversing with God. If you've got a notebook handy, a piece of paper, this would be a great time to have it in hand with that pencil that's longer than any memory. And start this process of talking, of conversing, conversing with God, which is talking and listening. And ask God to help you through his Holy Spirit in answering a few questions. And then, after you've done that for a few moments, we're going to worship our sower, the one who sowed the seed for each one of us. There's not a whole lot of time here, but you've got a whole entire week ahead of you to kind of continue with this. So for a few moments here, I'm going to relate these questions to you, and then I want you to take a few moments in quietness, in prayer, and just ask God these questions. And then, as he responds, write down and keep these. The first is, what type of ground that we just talked about most typifies you? Remembering that we can vacillate. What kind of ground would you like to be known as of those four soils? And secondly, what are the common weeds? What are the distractions in your life, specific to you, that are choking out your spiritual life with God? And, and they, they're myriad. I mean, you've got everything to think about there, and God will reveal them to you, I believe, if you ask him what's choking out his work in you. And finally, what do I need to do? God, what is it in me that needs to change in order to have this fruitful life, this abundance of harvest that I can't even begin to understand at this point in time. I'm going to give you just a, a few moments here, just in your quietness, wherever you find yourself, in your car, in the parking lot, or whether at home, or whether you're still in your pajamas, or whether you're all dressed to go out somewhere. I just want you to spend a few moments here. This is really what this is all about. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what it is to listen to God and to come with open hearts before him. Would you do this for a few moments, and then we'll worship. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.